I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Hello. We're back. It's Sick of Health Season 3, believe it or not. It's been a little bit of time, um, but we're excited to get going and excited to say, as usual, joined by Dr. David Wright and Rob Littlewood. How are we doing, chaps? It's been a little while. <laughs> good, thanks, yeah, mate. Yeah, good. good. Yeah, nice to be uh, nice to be back and um, uh, excited to see what you guys want to ask me today. I'm probably a little bit rusty. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on. Before we, before we dive into the... Um, the scientific content let's get to what the what the listeners really want to hear let's hear some uh, some updates david what you got for us what's been going on in the life of david you've been all over the shop come on yeah well since we last had an episode i had a failed move to italy for three months <laughs> it was supposed to go over there for a year and because of brexit and coronavirus and italian bureaucracy we didn't quite get our residency or anything so we moved to Sicily to Ragusa, a pretty little town in the south, and then Palermo for a month. And then when everything shut down and flights started getting restricted, we came back home. So now I'm just homeless at the moment and <laughs> living in a barn, <laughs> waiting for everything to blow over and get back I didn't to the actually, school. I didn't realize the plan was to be there for a, a whole year. That's pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's nice being able to work remotely, and we thought we'd try and get a bit of culture. But we did see... Had some delicious uh, pasta dishes whilst we were there and went on some nice Sicilian countryside bike rides. So we saw a little bit. <laughs> there you go. Well, mate, take the pasta dish off and then come back. And yeah. wait on Stroud, hey? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Which is both of the best place to live, apparently, in the UK. Yeah. So a place long, to end up. Long-term listeners, I'm sure, will be disappointed to hear that you're not in Bristol at the, uh, the, reno- the, the finished renovated house, right? Yeah, the lovely tenants are enjoying that. As soon as we finished the renovation, we moved out, and so we haven't actually passed in its glory yet. <laughs> so, where have you had to have you had to find a new Zen space now that you don't have the uh, Coke Shrine? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's plenty the, of Zen spaces in the wilderness here in Stroud. The Coca-Cola Shrine. For any listeners who missed that specific episode where we spoke about that one. Yeah, I should say Coca-Cola, shouldn't I? Yeah. It can be the deceiving. <laughs> and, uh, and it's definitely, don't worry, Dr. David is a responsible chap. Um, Robbo, what you, what you got? What you been up to? Um, not as exciting or as sunny as that, sadly. Uh, last bit of sun I got, I suppose, probably was back in November. I managed to sneak out and visit my dad in the Middle East, which was cool. But other than that, uh, first lockdown I did in Surrey last year. And then second, third, however many there are now, I've been back in London, which has been um, which has been nice, but nothing special or particularly interesting to report. It's kind of Groundhog Day, isn't it? You know, every weekend. Yeah. So yeah. looking forward to things easing up and actually came back to um, enjoying a real summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Amen. Hey, Matt. Well, to be fair, I'm I can't comment as much. I'm still in Canada, and we've definitely had it better than the UK. Although I think. The, the tides are turning and the UK is doing pretty good and not so much here, but we don't want to hear about that. That's the best, the band <laughs> word for this series, isn't it lads? The disease that yeah. must not be named. We're going to focus yeah. on me and David were saying, it's nice that the time we feel we've got the timing right because it kind of there's lots of other stuff coming out in the scientific research and literature. Now it feels like stuff's restarting again and focus is going back to other things. So on that note, should we, uh, should we jump into today's topic? Absolutely. 
And Rob's itching to hear oh, what it's about. Well, we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about our little our little swimmers. We're going to talk about <laughs> male sperm, which is an interesting one. Yeah, and it's. I don't know. So this is this is the basis of the topic is sperm count. Okay, and I don't know if you remember this. I didn't remember this. I don't think I saw it. But back in 2017, um, Shanna Swan and her research team did this big study um, and looked at sperm counts across the world between 1973 and 2011 um, and basically found the pretty astounding stat that was sperm counts in the western countries anyway had dropped by 59 percent in that time period which was obviously pretty significant um i don't do you, do you recall hearing that back then i hadn't seen it unsurprisingly I, I hadn't heard about that particular study although i did see a headline about this the other day i decided to glaze over it though um because it was pretty depressing i think and also i think it's one of those things that same with the parkinson's chat we had ages ago it's like do you really want to know or do you want to yeah. carry on your life as normal so true um, well, don't remember that we're study here though, to no. tell you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well the, head, the, the headline you pro- <laughs> the headline you probably saw was that she, so uh, same shana swan um has now extrapolated her data basically and come up with a, a lovely prediction for us that is basically uh, by 2045 we're set to reach sperm count of zero which is wow that's pretty soon pretty soon and pretty scary and I mean, so throw that into the mix with mental health and everything else. Exactly. Well, yeah, all the other world issues. And then this one's kind of sliding under the carpet slightly. But we're going to we're going to tell you why perhaps it shouldn't, I guess. But before before we do that, um, should we do um, a little a little David science time and go back to the, the basics of sperm and reproduction and conception? Go on, yeah, David. Maybe now's the time to plug in any gaps if your dad missed out on the details of the birds and the bees chat, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just I'm hoping that there's going to be a load of unintentional puns in this. Oh no, I did not Let's see. I don't know. Have you start... Well, yeah, you said you said plug in the gap there. It depends on oh, yeah. how imaginative <laughs> you are. <laughs> More of that, please, mate. Okay, go All ahead. Right. So sperm is produced in the testes. And then uh, they mature and are stored in a structure on top of that called the epididymis. And then during ejaculation, they travel through a tube called the vas deferens, which propels the sperm forward. And then it passes by the seminal vesicles and the prostate gland to add a kind of milky mixture, which is the semen. So then semen's produced. And if you're lucky enough to be with a lady at this time, then it will travel up and go into the fallopian tubes and from that point it will meet an egg and then that's where you get conception uh so what we're really interested in though is the sperm count and what dictates that so at any one time like a lot of different things it's uh dictated by supply and demand and so on the supply side you have these cells called sertoli cells which are inside your testes and they dictate the production of sperm and the amount of Sertoli cells you have is fixed early in development. So it's like a critical window, uh, I think just a few days before and after you're born, which um, dictate the amount of Sertoli cells you have. And then on the other side, the demand side is the time since your last ejaculation. So that's kind of what dictates the amount of sperm you have at any one point. 
and the relationship between two, yeah, the two is how much you have. And lots of animals are able to store sperm so they can maintain a high sperm count, even if they're ejaculating a lot, so they can get with a lot of different partners and then pass on their genes for survival of the fittest. But with humans, we can't really store so much. So you have a progressive increased chance of getting pregnant with the amount of um, the higher amount of sperm you have. So it's, uh, it's a kind of balance between the frequency you're having sex and then the actual amount of sperm you have. Why, is that an evolutionary thing? Why are we, why are we different? That's a good point. Yeah. I'm not too sure. It's know. interesting that the, cause I guess, I mean, we're less, it's not so much a survival of the fittest game for us these days, but I'm guessing that's yeah. been the case for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, probably enough for evolution to take a hit on it. Yeah, we've been kind of settled as a species for 10,000 years or so. I wonder if it's the same for dolphins. They're the only other animals to have sex for fun, right? So maybe, I don't know. That's a question question for the listeners. That's a point, actually, I forgot to say. Of course, if you uh, have any questions, suggestions, feedback, whatever, remember to get in contact at team at sickofhealth.co.uk or at sickofhealth on Twitter. Sorry to interrupt there, David. I had to squeeze that one in for sure. (laughs) On a timescale thing. So it takes um, 10 weeks for sperm to be produced and fully mature. And then you reach your maximum sperm count after 10 days of abstinence. 10 days of abstinence. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a baby, you should wait 10 days. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Not necessarily. I Still, the NHS and I think a lot of main guidelines say if you're trying to have a baby, you should be having sex two to three times a week minimum because it's all just a numbers game. So even though you might not have quite as much, right. you will be having increasing your chances of the slightly fewer to still be meeting an egg. Playing the averages game, hey? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Okay. Well, I think that's, um, that's the, the, the school science done. Yeah. So if Thanks, we, David. If we <laughs> always enjoy it. It is almost my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So if we if we jump back to the stat, so that thing that in in where well, it's gone down fifty nine percent, and then in by twenty forty five, her prediction or her team's prediction is it's going to be zero. Um, so it's fifty down fifty nine percent since when? So that was between nineteen seventy three and two thousand and eleven. So we've had ten years since the, uh, that meta analysis was. The, the kind of the dates of that meta-analysis. Um, so it would be interesting to know what's happened in those 10 years, but I presume that's partly what she's done with this extrapolation is seen, is the trend continuing? And therefore, if it's continuing, maybe even accelerating, that's where she, that's how she's come out with the, it'll be at zero by 2045. Um, but we obviously first thing being the, uh, well, mainly David, really, the, uh, the, the skeptics or the, scientists i should say was to think kind of look at the stats and is there any merit in the prediction and i think basically the answer was yes right yeah yeah so there's a lot of evidence showing that this is the case yeah not only as you said the meta-analysis of 43,000 men but quite a few other studies are showing that this is the case and yeah we dug into the data a little bit more because it seemed like Quite a few of the studies were looking at the average sperm count, which is fine. It's a good indication to look at, but not necessarily what's going to make a difference because 
there could be quite a lot of redundancy built into the system. So say you, everyone can produce a lot of sperm, but you say a hundred thousand uh, sperm per mil. I think that's the measurement. I can't remember exactly, but you only need 50 or 40,000 to be viable to kind of get a pregnancy. Then if you see a reduction kind of going down to that level, then it might not make a difference. So it might not have an effect on uh, pregnancy rates and birth rates. But what these studies have actually shown is that not only are you seeing a decrease in the average, but you're seeing an increase in the proportion of very low sperm producers. So people with quite a low sperm count. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's quite an important distinction to make. Right. Because the obvious thought when I think about it is, well, if sperm is decreasing and it's going to zero, then people aren't going to be able to have babies and will become extinct. I guess it's the obvious thing, but it's not quite the case, right? No, not necessarily, I guess, because, well, with new technologies like in vitro fertilization, you only need one sperm to produce a baby. And you can take the genetic information from that and match it with an egg and then produce a child. Um, But that's not necessarily like a get out of jail free card because it's an expensive procedure. So it's not going to be open to everyone and especially not in a lot of different countries. And um, it can be quite an emotionally draining procedure and uh, involves quite a lot of psychological stress. So yeah, from that point of view, we have technologies that could possibly get around it, but it's not without any downfall. Mm. Love a get get out of jail for a card down. <laughs> Robo, what do you reckon? Have you ever thought about it? Infertility? Uh yeah. I think um I think <laughs> I think being being generation Z, uh I've watched Friends nice. Back to Front a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> and I I do I do actually even remember like when I was younger and it was on the first um it was probably the first time i'd watched it it was such a poignant storyline because i i don't know i just i didn't think that that was something that that happened like people can't get can't get children but it obviously is increasingly more likely and that's quite a terrifying thing isn't it because Mm. um it's kind of uh, i'd say it's probably the most important most important thing to people's lives isn't it not necessarily you know, at a young age, I suppose probably some girls grow up saying, you know, oh, I can't wait to have babies, blah, blah, blah. But when you become an adult or a parent yourself, I'm sure all of our parents would agree, hopefully, um, that we are like the most important, we're the most important things to them. So it's, um, it, yeah, actually is really terrifying. The thought mm. that there's a, a number of us that, um, are probably likely to get affected. I mean, 59% is it's big. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a really, this is where it gets real tricky because there's so many different measurements and so many different kind of confounding factors. So when you're reading the research, it's real clear, like we said, that the sperm count's dropping. But then everyone seems to be saying different things, can't make up their mind about the knock-on effect of that. So there's different things you can measure. So obviously kind of, pregnancy rate or birth rate is one of those things um fecund fecundity fecundity 
which I cannot say <laughs> ever. I've literally, I've written the, what do you say when you, you write down the way it's meant to sound? I've written that in front of me and I still can't say it. Phonetic. Yeah, phonetic. <laughs> fecundity. Fecundity. That's the one I'm going for. Fecundity. Um, we can't edit any of this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Um, and that, that's the, that's slightly different measurement. That's the ability to produce offspring. So kind of fertility. Um, and then we we're also talking about another measurement that was looking at the number of people kind of reaching out for uh, what did you call it, David? Art. Uh, yeah, assisted reproductive technology, so, mm. <laughs> okay. like like in vitro fertilization. So basically, ways to help you get pregnant. So whether it's different drugs to stimulate uh, different hormones, or there's a few different ways to do it. Just to piece all of those together, if you in my head anyway, and please disagree. I'd say if sperm rate is decreasing, you'd, you'd expect fecundity to be decreasing. So the f- ability to produce your offspring to be decreasing and therefore yeah. birth rates to be decreasing and therefore people reaching out for reproductive services to be increasing, right? Seems logical. Yeah, I would, I would be really curious to know what, how proportionate that relationship looks. You know, I think it is um, quite a common conversation, isn't it? Um, I'd imagine amongst couples who might be affected by this to say you know i actually don't want to know who is the you know yeah um the issue here i think that's mm. a harsh word to use but you see what i'm saying well the, um, the so yeah i would be curious yeah interesting another sorry i should we should probably stick with that but i'll throw in one more stat before we do <laughs> do it yeah just just because it goes with it that i saw actually still uh, kind of right now when couples do have trouble getting pregnant two-thirds of the time it's um something on the woman's side only a third of the time it's on the men's side um which is interesting mm. that seems to be an age-related thing so women become less fertile as they get older uh so i guess the threshold in which so if a man has a reduced sperm count that's we're gonna gonna come more of an issue the older they get the older the couple get so yeah it is a slight kind of balance between the two of them and I guess it's one of the, that point about age for women and stuff is one of the reasons why, because like you were saying, Rob, you'd love to know the answer to what we were saying about has it affected birth rates? Has it, has it affected fecundity? Yeah. And the answer is, from as far as we can tell anyway, it doesn't seem like it is because um, the fecundity, when they look at the fecundity levels, that doesn't seem to have changed. And when they look at the um, people seeking out reproductive services that doesn't seem to have changed and in my head because that wasn't what i was expecting so i'm now thinking it's based on what um david was saying at the beginning about how you know it's the while they've dropped they haven't the average hasn't dropped below like the threshold level of sperm counts i'm thinking okay so we haven't seen it yet but if that trend continues and it drops down another 20 percent and it goes below that threshold maybe then fecundity will start kind of decreasing and birth rates will start decreasing does that make sense yeah it does yeah yeah we're basically eating into the redundancy in the system so yeah evolutionary we've kind of been able to produce way more than you actually need but because of all well for some reasons that we're going to go into that yeah we're now kind of getting closer and closer to a point where it is going to start becoming an issue i mean it might be an issue now like you said the evidence isn't quite there because there's so many complicated factors in working out birth rates and fecundancy but yeah 
So I guess so we've we've come to a slight a vague conclusion there on does it matter? But I'd say before we before we move on, the the experts have definitely come to a more uh, severe conclusion. Basically, a press release saying that kind of to governments and this kind of thing really hyping up this issue and this the summary of it was basically they need kind of everyone to acknowledge the importance of male reproductive health for the survival of the human species the human species and other species so i joked about extinction at the beginning but they clearly it's pretty think, severe yeah mm, they clearly think it's a thing okay well that's so we get so basically we're saying it's a problem but any thoughts, Rob, on what, why sperm count might be decreasing? So, evolutionarily, nailed it. I nice. imagine that um, it's probably a rebound effect to do with the baby boom, maybe. Um, I would also theorize it's to do with external factors like um, health, lifestyle, um, trends yeah. like that lack of sleep which i think is a huge oh, we one. one we love that one still <laughs> reading about it um the classic classic things like that that i think that lead to a lot of the other kind of illnesses that we've spoken about in the past i'd imagine mm. yeah the classics the classics are definitely in there you kind of your obesity your smoking your alcoholism uh diet sleep the classics are definitely in there and i i chucked evolution in as well and david shot me down the hip <laughs> point from the baby booms from 1950 to 1970 or that's way way too short by a long shot to have any evolutionary pressure i mean you need to we're talking like tens of thousands of years before yeah. anything can make a difference I was thinking that because, and it's again, it's it's the same answer. It's too short within history, but I was thinking because we can now, with IVF and kind of a, being able to do reproduction artificially, whereas right. people who kind of genetically had low sperm counts in the past, that would have mm. through evolution they wouldn't have had a kid, right? So it wouldn't have been passed on. Whereas now it can be passed on because we can assist. Yeah, but, as I David mean- said too short history again maybe in the future mm. that might start having an impact but we're we're way 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 short from that so basically if we make it through 2045 then it'll hit us like a ton of bricks afterwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> had a few more zeros to 2045 yeah <laughs> that's an um, interesting point i hadn't thought of that obviously evolution is um pretty strong out isn't it so mm. slow beast i guess one reason that the scientific community back going back to shana swan um the woman we were talking about at the beginning who kind of did the research there's um she's got a hypothesis that the scientific community are kind of agreeing on to to a certain extent right david and that is uh plastics in the environment yeah no way a lot of people have been looking into this and there's still kind of bit of a mixed opinion on it all but yeah there's um a lot of research kind of going into it and Roughly two-thirds of all plastics that have ever been produced in the environment are showing up as microplastics within the air, soil, and water. And a few of these different plastics, so there's tons and tons of different chemicals that produce plastics. And some of these are known as endocrine disruptors. So endocrine system is your hormones. And so some of these plastics, they can get into your body and then change the way your hormones are produced and the amount of hormones that are produced. And it's thought that these perhaps are having an influence on testosterone, amongst others, and producing and affecting the amount of sperm that you're producing. 
No way. Yeah. That and the AstraZeneca vaccine. <laughs> that's that's um no COVID okay. chat. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's... So many responses it could go with. I'm, I'm not gonna... strike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two strikes actually, because you mentioned lockdown too, but we'll forget. Uh... <laughs> um, but it's pretty mad, isn't it? I, I I don't know. My reaction when I first read the plastics thing was like, oh, right, it's another kind of maybe not classic but it gets mentioned but when you break it down in terms of the endocrine crime disruptors and they get in your body through the water you're drinking or the food you're eating because of the packaging or whatever it is that they actually influence your hormone levels it's pretty mad and yeah well basically there's not a whole lot of great evidence on this but they're finding so we can find these endocrine disruptor plastics within human tissue uh and then if you take those and also the sperm rates, uh, the sperm counts declining over time. And if you take some of those plastics and in a kind of experiment outside of the body, but on human sperms or dog sperm, you add those plastics in the same concentration they're found in your body, then it starts to reduce the sperm count and sperm motility and damages the DNA. So even though you can't kind of prove directly wow. that it's causing it, is getting kind of mounting evidence that it could be playing a role. Yeah, that was mm. going to be my next question is how advanced is the research on it? But I guess that that's... So yeah, a lot of it's just correlations yeah. at the moment, but they are starting to do some research. But obviously you can't do a randomized control trial like for a drug for this. You can't just give people yeah. plastics and see what happens. Because it's, it's so long lead. Is, well, and yeah. yeah. But it is... Yeah. It, I'm and right it's saying... just tap water, for instance it's just everywhere you can't escape it it's in the sea it's in on food and yeah i think it's just mm. it's pretty scary i don't know reading it was kind of scary because it's honestly not something i was aware of really is this exposure to plastics and the effects that they can literally make you infertile um and so there's this really interesting they've been in terms of the plastics they've been trying to do a few studies looking for like a biomarker to see what your sperm count is other than measuring it. And it turns out that if you're exposed, this is the hypothesis, if you're exposed during pregnancy, if your mum's exposed during pregnancy um, to these plastics or any of the other stuff, smoking, whatever it may be, alcoholism, um, then it can affect your the development of the child and affect their ADG, which is their angiogenital distance which you or I might commonly refer to as gooch, the gooch. Oh, the gooch. The gooch, indeed. Yeah. So basically the idea is, so in normally a man's gooch distance or ADG is twice the length of a woman's Wait, gooch distance. It's AGD, genital distance. Oh, right. Yeah, I've written that down wrong. AGD. <laughs> Got you. Okay. Gooch right. distance. I'll stick gooch distance. distance. Yeah. So yeah, man's is normally double the distance. <laughs> and basically, in if if you've been exposed to this, the hypothesis again, if you've been exposed to plastics, and you have a, and if you're a male and you have a shorter than normal gooch distance, or if you're a female and you have a longer than normal gooch distance, those are signs that you may have uh, kind of in, signs of infertility. So in a male, it corresponds to lower sperm count. Um, I've got that right, David. Yep, yep, yep. Which is interesting. It's, it's cool that there's that kind of manifestation because it's a hormone thing, right, David? So the, the hormones involved in that growth development 
are affected and therefore it affects the length. Exactly. Yeah. It's all kind of the same from the same process whilst you're through your development as a fetus. So they're kind of, yeah, it's all from the same hormone process during development. So they're all linked together. You might be able to guess now why I asked you to bring a tape measure. Yeah. So I started <laughs> laughing when, when this conversation began uh it's the tape measure staring at me now i'm just thinking <laughs> don't worry don't worry okay. we're not gonna make you just do this we're gonna, we're gonna David's give it a go. stretching He's well um I'll, I'll pause the recording briefly in a second and we'll try and we'll try and find our agd distances and i'll give you the um actually i'll give it i'll give the means when we come back perhaps and we can see if we're longer or shorter than the mean distances <laughs> i think i'm personally going to turn my camera off for this um <laughs> but we'll, we'll reconvene shortly We're back. How did that go, lads? <laughs> pretty hard. Not definitely easy. challenging. Yeah. yeah, pretty hard. Definitely, definitely challenging to do it by yourself. So I can't vouch for the scientific accuracy of this, but let's um let's give it a whirl anyway. So before we before we say actually before I could do that, Rob, remember you saying at the beginning of this, you were like thinking back to the Parkinson's and Alzheimer's ones we did, and would you want to know if you could find out? Would you want to know? Well, this could be yeah. a moment. This could be a moment. So <laughs> do you want to know? I mean, I've just got off, off the floor with tape measure in hand. I've gone far enough. <laughs> okay. So the so the average... Um, do you want to say ours first or not? Sure, let's go for it. David, kick us off. Uh, what was the unit? I, yeah, I millimetres. I think I was like 45. 45 millimetres, okay. Rob? Yeah. What the hell am I looking at? A <laughs> <laughs> hundred. hundred and ten. <laughs> Maybe you were, did you look at, did you look at David's diagram? Maybe you were looking at a, a GD2. <laughs> well... <laughs> okay the um i'll give you the numbers so we had so mine was about 50 millimeters david's 45 <laughs> must have been doing so wrong <laughs> off is 110 um so the median the median according to this one study was 40 41 millimeters oh, um, nice. so right. the good news is I, I dread to think what Rob's sperm count is it must be huge <laughs> i can't be right uh, anyway <laughs> Um, interesting stuff. I I guess you can caveat that uh, unless it's being done by a someone who knows what they're doing, you probably can't draw any conclusions from it. But probably interesting pretty loud margin of error. Yeah. Yes, I'd imagine so. Given we didn't have the digital caliper recommended in the guidelines, we just had various different types of industrial tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so moving on from that. What we want to think about was what it is all, what does it all mean, which I guess we kind of touched on um, when we were thinking about the pregnancy rates and birth rates. But if for a second we we carry on with our our hypothesis, I guess that give it a few more years and then fecundity, 
birth rates, conception rates do all start to drop. What does that mean for society, I guess, is the question here. Um, mm. Either of you have any thoughts on that bigger picture question? I mean, that is kind of terrifying, isn't it? I guess there was, I don't know, it's easy to look at, um, I can't remember who it was, but like there was the agricultural revolution years ago where we were supposed to run out of food and then suddenly we managed to find a way to make it work. I'd like to think that we would do something similar here somehow, mm. you know, with advanced, more accessible IVF, for instance. Um, but there doesn't seem to be much urgency towards it now, considering we've only got, you know, 24 years until D-Day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and it's kind of, if you're trying to look at it from a really impartial point of view, you can try and look at the positives, I guess. David was saying, you were saying environmental stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're living in quite an overpopulated world on the whole. There's obviously some areas which are still underpopulated, but overall we're kind of there's too much strain on the world's resources and there's lots of environmental damage and we're kind of going towards an ecocide at the moment so if birth rate did decline it would have a good um, result on the world's climate and lots of other things pollution rates would decrease kind of threatened animal species are more likely to recover faster so humanity isn't a great influence at the moment on the world. So it would have that kind of benefit. Yeah, that was the, I was thinking as well, it's, if you want to have a baby and you're really having to try, then the likelihood of any accidental pregnancies, probably a lot less, right? Which could be seen as a good thing. It definitely will reduce the strain on certain services and resources and emotional side of things. Um, so I guess you could view that as a positive, but it's, it's definitely interesting to think of those knock-on effects. But I think if we start drawing things to a close, we can end on a slightly lighter note of the ways to increase your sperm count. And we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but this is good news here. It's um, regular sex and masturbation definitely helps. That is one of the ways you can increase your sperm count. Right, David? Uh, <laughs> jury's still out on that one. I mean, oh. you can still keep <laughs> Yeah, I, I, was, I was having a look. Definitely, <laughs> it will increase, well, regular sex will increase your chance of conceiving, but there's no real good evidence that it increases your sperm count. But it's still all towards the same goal, so it can't harm. But there are some other things that do help. Yeah, so the NHS has a list of different things to help um, improve your sperm count. And pretty much all of it is, as we were saying before, it's just about keeping healthy in general. So it's minimizing your alcohol and drug consumption, keeping it a healthy body weight, not smoking, exercising regularly, eating healthy. So a Mediterranean diet with lots of fruit and veg and trying to minimize your stress as well. So they're all kind of the more general things. And then there are also a few more specific things which weren't kind of related to your general health. And that was one of them was reducing the temperature of your testes. So there's a theory going that if wearing kind of tight underwear or being in hot environments uh, is detrimental to your sperm count. So that's why you have your testes are exterior to your body because it means that they can keep it 36 degrees rather than at your core temperature, which is a little bit warmer. So if you 
wear tight-fitting clothing or in a hot area, then that can increase the temperature again and then kind of decrease sperm production. So that's one way you can... That is so interesting. What a fun fact. That's why the <laughs> testes are external to the body. Yeah. I have and heard then, that about... I've heard that about underwear before as well. Yeah. yeah I don't think there's that. too much kind of strong evidence showing it, but it kind of ties in with the physiology of why, yeah, why your testes are exterior. Mm. There's not, yeah, there's not, there's not the uh, necessary scientific evidence, but I've read some more anecdotal stuff. And there was one guy who'd said him and his partner had really been struggling. And then he stopped, started wearing loose fitting underwear for three weeks. And then I think they were looking at, I don't know, under a microscope at his sperm or something. And he, his quote was, it went from a graveyard to a rave. Talking <laughs> about his sperm. <laughs> um, so that was an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> so he certainly believes in it um and it worked apparently he, he got his wife pregnant so congratulations <laughs> to him and then yeah, there's some other uh, evidence showing that antioxidant supplements might help as well but yeah there are all the different things you can do you're going to take any of those forward rob oh just laughing so much that graveyard to a rave <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, pretty that's good. So good. Let me let me pose. Let's to to draw things to an end. Let me pose two questions to you both. The first of which, if we go back to the the scientists and how grave they thought this was, um, and it's currently not kind of a big, well-known health issue, given our discussion. Where where do you reckon you'd place decreasing sperm count in the kind of pecking order of world issues? So we're thinking across the board. We're thinking the disease that must not be named. We're thinking climate change. We're thinking nuclear disarmament. Are we are we putting it right up there, or it's still just going to go under the radar and not much is going to happen? Oh man, I mean, are there the resources to to give these things the priority it deserves um, without affecting other stuff, which is equally pretty serious? Mm -hmm. I mean. I still think climate change is number one. And there's um, an argument that if you if you do some action on climate change in terms of reducing plastics, then you help this anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really hope it's stress and other things. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, I really hope it picks up traction. I mean, um, I'm definitely gonna take a few of these points forward. I'm not gonna assume that, you know, plastics that are the reason for it all but i think secretly maybe i'll try and use glass bottles a bit more or mm. glasses i guess would that be a good approach and you can get the like the bpa free the, like your, your classic nalgene plastic bottles bpa free and stuff like that um, mm. which i i've definitely been more cognizant of it since we've been researching it because i didn't have a clue to be honest um but then okay saying that taking some stuff forward last question then given what we talked about would you consider getting sperm frozen? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I actually am surprised I didn't think of bringing that up. I, I think I've heard some companies do it for you. And I actually, I think I Googled it once a couple of years ago, but it's very expensive, mm. yeah. isn't it? But definitely, yeah, I definitely would. I'd um, definitely consider it. I'd want to know, I'd yeah. want to do more than just an AGD measurement before i decided where i'm at kind of thing i'd want to get a proper test done then you can get you can get a home home kits and stuff from the nhs 
Um, but I'd definitely consider it. But yeah, it's expensive. I was looking at one of the one of the companies brand themselves is like the Swiss bank of male sperm. That was their like slogan, which I thought was a bit weird, to be honest. But it's a thing. <laughs> David, would you? What well, is in that there's like no judgment or they're just, I think just secure. <laughs> very neutral. I think, I think yeah. secure is what they were going for. But so. <laughs> I would uh, I'd definitely do it because, yeah, even though I'm not sure whether I want a kid at the moment, it would be nice to have that option still. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would have this slight thing in the back of my head about security and thinking that I reckon uh, having that kind of medical information in the future is going to be very, very important and a way companies and maybe even governments start influencing policies. So I would be slightly skeptical about whatever company I'm giving to, what their security is like for it. So yeah, I guess a Swiss bank one would be quite good for that. <laughs> But yeah, no, I definitely consider it. Nice. Well, yeah. Uh, as always, um, let us know what you what you reckon, what your answers to those questions might be. Um, sick a team at sickofhealth.co.uk and at sickofhealth on Twitter. But unless you got anything else, lads, I think we'll leave it there. It's been a good no, good first good. one back. That was, eh? a, that was a great yeah. one. Yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, definite eye opener and really interesting. So yeah, let us know what you think, and we will be back with more episodes in season three. Looking forward to it. Sick, so sick, so sick of hell.